section eight of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter eight on the wednesday of that same week the news of my father's sudden and serious illness came to me in a telegram and by the time i arrived at home it was too late to see him again alive it was my first experience with death and what perplexed me continually during the following days was an inability to feel the loss more deeply when a child i had been easily shaken by the spectacle of sorrow had i during recent years as a result of a discovery that emotions arising from human relationships lead to discomfort and suffering deliberately been forming a shell until now i was incapable of natural feelings of late i had seemed closer to my father and his letters though formal had given evidence of his affection in his repressed fashion he had made it clear that he looked forward to the time when i was to practice with him why was it then as i gazed upon his fine features in death that i experienced no intensity of sorrow what was it in me that would not break down he seemed worn and tired yet i had never thought of him as weary never attributed to him any yearning and now he was released i wonder what had been his private thoughts about himself his private opinions about life and when i reflect now upon my lack of real knowledge at five-and-twenty i am amazed at the futility of an expensive education which had failed to impress upon me the simple basic fact that life was struggle that either development or retrogression is the fate of all men that characters are never completely made but always in the making i had merely a disconcerting glimpse of this truth with no powers of formulation as i sat beside my mother in the bedroom where every article evoked some childhood scene here was the dent in the walnut footboard of the bed made one wintry day by the impact of my box of blocks the big armchair covered with i know not what stiff embroidery which had served on countless occasions as a chariot driven to victory i even remembered how every wednesday morning i had been banished from the room which had been so large a part of my childhood universe when ella the housemaid had flung open all its windows and crowded its furniture into the hall the thought of my wanderings since then became poignant almost terrifying the room with all its memories was unchanged how safe i had been within its walls why could i not have been content with what it represented of tradition of custom of religion and what was it within me that had lured me away from these i was miserable indeed but my misery was not of the kind i thought it ought to be at moments when my mother relapsed into weeping i glanced at her almost in wonder such sorrow as hers was incomprehensible once she surprised and discomfited me by lifting her head and gazing fixedly at me through her tears 
i recall certain impressions of the funeral there among the pallbearers was my cousin robert breck tears in the furrows of his cheeks had he loved my father more than i the sight of his grief moved me suddenly and strongly it seemed an age since i had worked in his store and yet here he was still coming to town every morning and returning every evening to claremore loving his friends and mourning them one by one was this the spectacle presented by my cousin robert the reward of earthly existence were there no other prizes save those known as greatness of character and depth of human affections cousin robert looked worn and old the other pallbearers men of weight of long standing in the community were aged too mr blackwood and mr jules hollister and out of place somehow in this new church building it came to me abruptly that the old order was gone had slipped away during my absence the church i had known in boyhood had been torn down to make room for a business building on boyne street the edifice in which i sat was expensive gave forth no distinctive note seemed transitory with its hybrid interior its shiny oak and blue and red organ-pipes betokening uncompromised and weakened faith nondescript likewise seemed the new minister mr randlett as he prayed unctuously in front of the flowers massed on the platform i vaguely resented his laudatory references to my father the old church with its severity had actually stood for something it was the westminster catechism in wood and stone and dr pound had been the human incarnation of that catechism the fit representative of a wrathful god a militant shepherd who had guarded with vigilance his respectable flock who had protested vehemently against the sins of the world by which they were surrounded against the dogs and sorcerers and whoremongerers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie how dr pound would have put the emphasis on the everlasting into those words against what was mr randlett protesting my glance wandered to the pews which held the committees from various organizations such as the chamber of commerce and the bar association which had come to do honor to my father and there differentiated from the others i saw the spruce alert figure of theodore watling he too represented a new type and a new note this time a forceful note a secular note that had not belonged to the old church and seemed likewise anomalistic in the new during the long slow journey in the carriage to the cemetery my mother did not raise her veil it was not until she reached out and seized my hand convulsively that i realized she was still a part of my existence in the days that followed i became aware that my father's death had removed a restrictive element that i was free 
now to take without criticism or opposition whatever course in life i might desire it may be that i had apprehended even then that his professional ideals would not have coincided with my own mingled with this sense of emancipation was a curious feeling of regret of mourning for something i had never valued something fixed and dependable for which he had stood a rock and a refuge of which i had never availed myself when his will was opened it was found that the property had been left to my mother during her lifetime it was larger than i had thought four hundred thousand dollars shrewdly invested for the most part in city real estate my father had been very secretive as to money matters and my mother had no interest in them three or four days later i received in the mail a typewritten letter signed by theodore watling expressing sympathy for my bereavement and asking me to drop in on him downtown before i should leave the city in contrast to the somewhat dingy offices where my father had practised in the blackwood block the quarters of watling founds and ripon on the eighth floor of the new durrett building were modern to a degree finished in oak and floored with marble with a railed-off space where young women with nimble fingers played ceaselessly on typewriters one of them informed me that mr watling was busy but on reading my card added that she would take it in meanwhile in company with two others who may have been clients i waited this then was what it meant to be a lawyer of importance to have like a chesterfield an ante-room where clients cooled their heels and awaited one's pleasure the young woman returned and led me through a corridor to a door on which was painted mr watling i recall him tilted back in his chair in a debonair manner beside his polished desk the hint of a smile on his lips and leaning close to him was a yellow owl-like person whose eyes as they turned to me gave the impression of having stared for years into hard artificial lights mr watling rose briskly how are you hugh he said the warmth of his greeting tempered by just the note of condolence suitable to my black clothes i'm glad you came i wanted to see you before you went back to cambridge i must introduce you to judge baring of our state supreme court judge this is mr parrott's boy the judge looked me over with a certain slow impressiveness and gave me a soft and fleshy hand glad to know you mr parrott your father was a great loss to our bar he declared i detected in his tone and manner a slight reservation that could not be called precisely judicial dignity it was as though in these few words he had gone to the limit of self-commitment with a stranger a striking contrast to the confidential attitude towards mr watling in which i had surprised him judge said mr watling sitting down again do you recall that time we all went up to mr parrott's house and tried to induce him to run for mayor that was before you went on the lower bench the judge nodded gloomily caressing his watch-chain and suddenly rose to go 
that would be all right then mr watling inquired cryptically with a smile the other made a barely perceptible inclination of the head and departed mr watling looked at me he's one of the best men we have on the bench to-day he added there was a trace of apology in his tone we talked a while of my father to whom so he said he had looked up ever since he had been admitted to the bar it would be a pleasure to me hugh as well as a matter of pride he said cordially but with dignity to have matthew parrott's son in my office i suppose you will be wishing to take your mother somewhere this summer but if you care to come here in the autumn you will be welcome you will begin of course as other young men begin as i began but i am a believer in blood and i'll be glad to have you mr founds and mr ripon feel the same way he escorted me to the door himself everywhere i went during that brief visit home i was struck by change by the crumbling and decay of institutions that once had held me in thrall by the superimposition of a new order that as yet had assumed no definite character some of the old landmarks had disappeared there were new and aggressive office buildings new and aggressive residences new and aggressive citizens who lived in them and of whom my mother spoke with gentle deprecation even claremore that paradise of my childhood had grown shrivelled and shabby even tawdry i thought when we went out there one sunday afternoon all that once represented the magic word country had vanished the old flat piano made in philadelphia ages ago the horsehair chairs and sofa had been replaced by a nondescript furniture of the sort displayed behind plate-glass windows of the city's stores rocking-chairs on stands upholstered in clashing colours their coiled springs only half hidden by tassels and ornamental electric fixtures instead of the polished coal-oil lamps cousin jenny had grown white willie was a staid bachelor helen an old maid while mary had married a tall anemic young man with glasses walter kinley whom cousin robert had taken into the store as i contemplated the brecks odd questions suggested themselves did honesty and warm-heartedness necessarily accompany a lack of artistic taste and was virtue its own reward after all they drew my mother into the house took off her wraps set her down in the most comfortable rocker and insisted on making her a cup of tea i was touched i loved them still and yet i was conscious of reservations concerning them they too seemed a little on the defensive with me and once in a while mary was caustic in her remarks i guess nothing but new york will be good enough for hugh now he'll be taking cousin sarah away from us not at all my dear said my mother gently he's going into mr watling's office next autumn theodore watling demanded cousin robert pausing in his carving 
yes robert mr watling has been good enough to say that he would like to have you is there anything oh i'm out of date sarah cousin robert replied vigorously severing the leg of the turkey those modern lawyers are too smart for me watling's no worse than the others i suppose only he's got more ability i've never heard anything against him said my mother in a pained voice only the other day macallary willett congratulated me that hugh was going to be with him you mustn't mind robert sarah put in cousin jenny a remark reminiscent of other days dad has a notion that his generation is the only honest one said helen laughingly as she passed a plate i had gained a sense of superiority and i was quite indifferent to cousin robert's opinion of mr watling of modern lawyers in general more than once a wave of self-congratulation surged through me that i had possessed the foresight and initiative to get out of the wholesale grocery business while there was yet time i looked at willie still freckled still literal still a plodder at walter kinley and i thought of the drabness of their lives at cousin robert himself as he sat smoking his cigar in the bay window on that dark february day and suddenly i pitied him the suspicion struck me that he had not prospered of late and this deepened to a conviction as he talked the republican party is going to the dogs he asserted it used to be an honourable party but now it is no better than the other politics are only conducted now for the purpose of making unscrupulous men rich sir for years i've furnished this city with good groceries if i do say it myself i took a pride in the fact that the inmates of the hospitals yes and the dependent poor in the city's institutions should have honest food you can get anything out of the city if you are willing to pay the politicians for it i lost my city contracts why because i refuse to deal with scoundrels wheel and company and other unscrupulous upstarts are willing to do so and poison the poor and the sick with adulterated groceries the first thing i knew was that the city auditor was holding back my bills for supplies and paying wheels that's what politics and business yes sir and the law have come to in these days if a man wants to succeed he must turn into a rascal i was not shocked but i was silent uncomfortable wishing that it were time to take the train back to the city cousin robert's face was more worn than i had thought and i contrasted him inevitably with the forceful person who used to stand in his worn alpaca coat on the pavement in front of his store greeting with clear-eyed content his fellow merchants of the city willie breck too was silent and walter kinley took off his glasses and wiped them in the meanwhile helen had left the group in which my mother sat and approaching us 
laid her hands on her father's shoulders now dad she said in affectionate remonstrance you're excited about politics again and you know it isn't good for you and besides they're not worth it you're right helen he replied under the pressure of her hands he made a strong effort to control himself and turned to address my mother across the room i'm getting to be a crotchety old man he said it's a good thing i have a daughter to remind me of it it is a good thing robert said my mother during the rest of our visit he seemed to have recovered something of his former spirits and poise taking refuge in the past they talked of their own youth of families whose houses had been landmarks on the second bank i'm worried about your cousin robert hugh my mother confided to me when we were at length seated in the train i've heard rumors that things are not so well at the store as they might be we looked out at the winter landscape so different from that one which had thrilled every fibre of my being in the days when the railroad on which we travelled had been a winding narrow gauge the orchards those that remained were bare stubble pricked the frozen ground where tassels had once waved in the hot summer wind we fled by row after row of gingerbread suburban houses built on villa plots and i read in large letters on a hideous signboard woodbine park hugh have you ever heard anything against mr watling no mother i said so far as i knew he is very much looked up to by lawyers and businessmen he is counsel i believe for mr blackwood's street-car line on boyne street and i told you i believe that i met him once at mr kynes poor robert she sighed i suppose business trouble does make one bitter i've seen it so often but i never imagined that it would overtake robert and at his time of life it is an old and respected firm and we have always had pride in it that night when i was going to bed it was evident that the subject was still in her mind she clung to my hand a moment i too am afraid of the new hugh she said a little tremulously we all grow so as age comes on but you're not old mother i protested I have a feeling since your father is gone that i have lived my life my dear though i'd like to stay long enough to see you married to have grandchildren i was not young when you were born and she added after a little while i know nothing about business affairs and now now that your father is no longer here sometimes i'm afraid afraid of what mother she tried to smile at me through her tears we were in the old sitting-room surrounded by the books i know it's foolish and it isn't that i don't trust you i know that the son of your father couldn't 
do anything that was not honourable and yet i am afraid of what the world is becoming the city is growing so fast and so many new people are coming in things are not the same robert is right there and i have heard your father say the same thing hugh promise me that you will try to remember always what he was and what he would wish you to be i will mother i answered but i think you would find that cousin robert exaggerates a little makes things seem worse than they really are customs change you know and politics were never well sunday schools i too smiled a little father knew that and he would never take an active part in them he was too fine she exclaimed and now i continued cousin robert has happened to come in contact with them through business that is what has made the difference in him before he always knew they were corrupt but he rarely thought about them hugh she said suddenly after a pause you must remember one thing that you can afford to be independent i thank god that your father has provided for that i was duly admitted the next autumn to the bar of my own state and was assigned to a desk in the offices of watling founds and ripon larry weed was my immediate senior among the apprentices and larry was a hero worshipper i can see him now he suggested a bullfrog as he sat in the little room we shared in common his arms akimbo over a law book his little legs doubled under him his round eyes fixed expectantly on the doorway and even if i had not been aware of my good fortune in being connected with such a firm as theodore watling's larry would shortly have brought it home to me during those weeks when i was making my first desperate attempts at briefing up the law i was sometimes interrupted by his exclamations when certain figures went by in the corridor say hugh do you know who that was no miller gorse who's he do you mean to say you never heard of miller gorse i've been away a long time i would answer apologetically a person of some importance among my contemporaries at harvard i had looked forward to a residence in my native city with the complacency of one who has seen something of the world only to find that i was the least in the new kingdom and it was a kingdom larry opened up to me something of the significance and extent of it something of the identity of the men who controlled it miller gorse he said impressively is the counsel for the railroad what railroad you mean the i was adding when he interrupted me pityingly after you've been here a while you'll find out there's only one railroad in this state so far as politics are concerned the ashuela and northern the lake shore and the others don't count i refrained from asking any more questions at that time 
but afterwards i always thought of the railroad as spelled with a capital miller gorse isn't forty yet larry told me on another occasion that's doing pretty well for a man who comes near running this state for the sake of acquiring knowledge i endured mr weed's patronage i inquired how mr gorse ran the state oh you'll find out soon enough he assured me but mr barber's president of the railroad sure once in a while they take something up to him but as a rule he leaves things to gorse whereupon i resolved to have a good look at mr gorse at the first opportunity one day mr watling sent out for some papers he's in there now said larry you take em in there meant mr watling's sanctum and in there he was i had only a glance at the great man for with a kindly but preoccupied thank you hugh mr watling took the papers and dismissed me heaviness blackness and impassivity these were the impressions of mr gorse which i carried away from that first meeting the very solidity of his flesh seemed to suggest the solidity of his position such say the psychologists is the effect of prestige i remember well an old-fashioned picture puzzle in one of my boyhood books the scene depicted was to all appearances a sylvan peaceful one with two happy lovers seated on a log beside a brook but presently as one gazed at the picture the head of an animal stood forth among the branches and then the body more animals began to appear bit by bit a tiger a bear a lion a jackal a fox until at last whenever i looked at the page i did not see the sylvan scene at all but only the predatory beasts of the forest so one by one the figures of the real rulers of the city superimposed themselves for me upon the simple and democratic design of mayor council board of aldermen police force etc that filled the eye of a naive and trusting electorate which fondly imagined that it had something to say in government miller gorse was one of these rulers behind the screen and adolf scherer of the boyne ironworks another there was leonard dickinson of the corn national bank frederick grierson becoming wealthy in city real estate judah b talent who though outlawed socially was deferred to as the owner of the morning era and even ralph hambleton rapidly superseding the elderly and conservative mr lord who had hitherto managed the great hambleton estate ralph seemed to have become in a somewhat gnostic manner a full-fledged financier not having studied law he had been home for four years when i became a legal fledgling and during the early days of my apprenticeship i was beholden to him for many eye-openers concerning the conduct of great affairs i remember him sauntering into my room one morning when larry weed had gone out on an errand 
hello hughie he said with his air of having nothing to do grinding it out where's watling isn't he in his office no well what can i do for you i asked ralph grinned perhaps i'll tell you when you're a little older you're too young and he sank down into larry wee's chair his long legs protruding on the other side of the table it's a matter of taxes some time ago i found out that dickinson and talent and others i could mention were paying a good deal less on their city property than we are we don't propose to do it any more that's all how can mr watling help you i inquired well i don't mind giving you a few tips about your profession hughie i'm going to get watling to fix it up with the city hall gang old lord doesn't like it i'll admit and when i told him we had been contributing to the city long enough that i proposed swinging into line with other property holders he began to blubber about disgrace and what my grandfather would say if he were alive well he isn't alive a good deal of water has flowed under the bridges since his day it's a mere matter of business of getting your respectable firm to retain a city hall attorney to fix it up with the assessor how about the penitentiary i ventured not too seriously i shan't go to the penitentiary neither will watling what i do is pay a lawyer's fee there isn't anything criminal in that is there for some time after ralph had departed i sat reflecting upon this new knowledge and there came into my mind the bitterness of cousin robert breck against this city hall gang and his remarks about lawyers i recalled the tone in which he had referred to mr watling but ralph's philosophy easily triumphed why not be practical and become master of a situation which one had not made and could not alter instead of being overwhelmed by it needless to say i did not mention the conversation to mr watling nor did he dwindle in my estimation these necessary transactions did not interfere in any way with his personal relationships and his days were filled with kindnesses and was not mr ripon the junior partner one of the evangelical lights of the community conducting advanced bible classes every week in the church of the redemption the unfolding of mysteries kept me alert and i understood that if i was to succeed certain esoteric knowledge must be acquired as it were unofficially i kept my eyes and ears opened and applied myself with all industry to the routine tasks with which every young man in a large legal firm is familiar i recalled distinctly my pride when the board of aldermen having passed an ordinance lowering the water rates i was entrusted with the responsibility of going before the court in behalf of mr ogilvy's water company obtaining a temporary restricting order preventing the ordinance from going at once into effect here was an affair in point were it not for lawyers of the calibre of watling founds and ripon hard-earned private property would soon be confiscated by the rapacious horde 
once in a while i was made aware that mr watling had his eye on me well hugh he would say how are you getting along that's right stick to it and after a while we'll hand the drudgery over to somebody else he possessed the supreme quality of a leader of men in that he took pains to inform himself concerning the work of the least of his subordinates and he had the gift of putting fire into a young man by a word or a touch of the hand on the shoulder it was not difficult for me therefore to comprehend larry weed's hero worship the loyalty of other members of the firm or of those occupants of the office whom i have not mentioned my first impression of him which i had got at jerry kimes deepened as time went on and i readily shared the belief of those around me that his legal talents easily surpassed those of any of his contemporaries i can recall at this time several noted cases in the city when i sat in court listening to his arguments with thrills of pride he made us all feel no matter how humble may have been our contributions to the preparation that we had a share in his triumphs we remembered his manner with judges and juries and strove to emulate it he spoke as if there could be no question as to his being right as to the law and the facts and yet in some subtle way that baited analysis managed not to antagonize the court victory was in the air in that office i do not mean to say there were not defeats but frequently these defeats by resourcefulness by a never-say-die spirit by a consummate knowledge not only of the law but of other things at which i have hinted were turned into ultimate victories we fought cases from one court to another until our opponents were worn out or the decision was reversed we won and that spirit of winning got into the blood what was most impressed on me in those early years i think was the discovery that there was always a path if one were clever enough to find it from one terrace to the next higher staying power was the most prized of all the virtues one could always by adroitness compel a legal opponent to fight the matter out all over again on new ground or at least on ground partially new if the court of appeals should fail one there was the supreme court there was the opportunity also to shift from the state to the federal courts and likewise the much prized device known as a change of venue when a judge was supposed to be prejudiced end of section eight